Church, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 23 today, and we're going to start in verse 1. We've made our way all the way to Matthew 23. Uh, I feel blessed because of that. And so we're going to look at what the Lord is telling us here and what he continues to teach us uh, throughout the teaching of the word or throughout the the writing of the word and the, the teaching of the scripture. So I'll give you a little time, or maybe I need a little time, I don't know. Uh, we're going to get into Matthew 23 here. Now, um, I want to start off by asking the Lord for some help here. If you would, join me. God, we, we thank you and we praise you, Lord. We worship you this morning, God. Lord, we ask you to help us, Lord, to listen intently, Lord, with our hearts, with our ears. Lord, with our minds, that we worship you in spirit and truth here, God, and that we, we take in all that you're teaching us, Lord. Help us to understand, Lord. Lord, help me to communicate your word. Help me, God. I need you, God. With, without you, I'm nothing. But in you, Lord, in you, we have all we need. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, we're in Matthew 23. So um, this is a thick chapter, and it's ripe with uh, the thoughts and concerns from the heart of God toward the scribes and Pharisees. And in this chapter, we hear uh, the conversation that Jesus has with them while he absolutely tears them down from the pedestal that they had been standing on, that they built for themselves in the sight of God and man. And rather than a pedestal, maybe maybe we can say a mountain or altar they built to themselves and for themselves. They've not only built a high place for themselves to stand upon, lording over the people, but they've certainly stepped upon it and would rather be worshipped upon it than to teach the heart of God through the law at this point. Because that's what we know about the law is that it communicates the heart of God to be separate from the world. But rather than teach that, they, they, uh, they'd rather be looked to as the authority on it. And rather than teach the law or the heart of God through the law at this point, they'd rather show with their lives um, something quite different. But we know that God is asking us to show with our lives the heart of God and to communicate with our lives the message of God, and the gospel of God in Jesus Christ. We need to know what this looks like in practice. And in order to do that, we can go no further. We need to go no further than Jesus Christ himself. Now, these are the hypocrites, as Jesus calls them, as the Lord tells it. And we will see his judgment upon them in these seven woes to the scribes and Pharisees. Now, the title of today's sermon message is God above all. God above all. Above all. And what we'll see consistently, continuously throughout the course of this chapter, because we're going to go through the majority of it today, what we're going to see is that the Pharisees and scribes, the Sadducees, they do not, particularly here, the scribes and Pharisees, they do not put God above all. They are above all. Their authority, their understanding is above all. God is not above all, and we need God above all. So Jesus warns about them, and so we should warn. It's good to know the truth about the hearts of people and what's right and what's wrong. For this, Acts chapter 20, verses 29 through 31 reads, 
I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night and day to admonish everyone with tears. Furthermore, Philippians chapter 3, verse 2 says, Look out for the dogs, look out for the evildoers, look out for those who mutilate the flesh. 2 Corinthians 11:13 through 15 reads, For such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder... For even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Their end will correspond to their deeds. You see, one of the interesting things that we gather from this, as well as from the rest of the text of Scripture, is that God allows them to exist in this state, these scribes and Pharisees, these evildoers, these uh, wolves, as he calls them. And God, ungodly as it may be, he allows them to exist in this state. And he tells us in the parable of the wheat and the tares that he will allow the bad to exist alongside the good. And that he's going to separate them and work it all out at the end. Now for us, this gets annoying in this life. It gets frustrating. How many times in your life have you, been, have you seen absolutely immoral, evil, wicked acts that you wish would never happen, but they do and they, they persist and they're consistent? Or that, the, or that the ones who do these evil things would be taken out of the world? Or perhaps you just want the evil gone. Let the people stay, but take the evil away. Take the desires, the evil desires away, the worldly desires But no, the Bible teaches that he will let the wicked exist alongside the ones who love the Lord so that he would be glorified through the perseverance of the righteous, the perseverance of the saints, the perseverance of those who love Christ. The perseverance, their steadfastness, who endure the persecutions and hypocrisies of the world. This is what Christ desires of his church. That we would endure. That we would endure. Now, we are being refined by fire, to be sure. Refined by fire. Pulverized from rock to reveal the hidden gems within. This is the Lord's way. Pruned to bear more fruit. Watered to grow. This is the Lord's way. God is conditioning us for glory, church. He's allowing us into the space that exists where the good fruit is smothered, stepped on, and pressed to make new wine. Are you experiencing a pressing of sorts in your life? Feeling that you've been stepped on? That you're being pulverized, cut, pruned, refined by fire? I want you to rest assured that if that's you, that you're in a good place. Because you're exactly where God wants you to be. And he's making you more and more like him in that process. And that's what we need. We need to be more like Jesus. So let's pick up and see what Jesus says to the scribes and Pharisees. And and we will break uh, some of this down as well as we go through it and 
Matthew 23, verse 1. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, The scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat, so do and observe whatever they tell you, but not the works they do. Do and observe, uh, do and observe whatever they tell you, but not the works they do. But not the works. So because they sit on the seat of Moses and issue the law with its many commands, then, then, then sit and listen to what they teach as they teach the law, but the things they do, don't do them. Don't follow their way of life. This is one of the many things that separates Jesus from everyone else. Nobody who's ever lived, church, nobody who's ever lived can say, follow me. And upon following, we are following to perfection, following to glory. Nobody who's ever lived, who's ever lived can say, follow me, and at the same time live a life worthy of being followed. It's never happened. Not until Jesus, and not since Jesus. It's never happened. But you will have some still who not only mess up and live imperfectly, but do drastically different things than what they're telling you to do. And there is a deliberate misdirection in their lives which directs you from the law of Moses right into their way of life. Jesus is telling us, listen, that law is good, it's right, it's righteous, it's glorious because God gave it. It shows you how to be separate from the world. And it should show us, if anything, the law should show us, listen, I'm not good enough. I can't do all this perfectly. I can't get it all right. I can't. I've tried. I can't do it. And so why am I going to condemn this person, my brother, my sister, right next to me? Why am I going to stand up, like lift it up while they are submitted at the feet of the Lord? Why am I going to stand up holy and righteous before them, acting as though I'm living a life that is impossible to live in this flesh? Why am I going to act like I'm perfect when I'm not? And so the law of God is a mirror that we look into where we should see and be very aware of our own inconsistencies, our own uh, mess-ups, our own sinfulness, our own pride, our own ego, our own selfishness. We should be like incredibly aware of ourselves after looking into a mirror. How many times you get ready, church, and you're looking into the mirror and you say, oh, man, you know, and you're just looking and you see your imperfections. That's kind of what happens. We, we look at the mirror every day, I think, right? We, we probably do. Everybody looks into the mirror at least once a day, probably, right? We see our imperfections. This is the law. It should show people imperfect as they may be. That, yes, those who disobey the law of God deserve the punishment of God But the grace of God is that the punishment of God that we deserved would be borne on the cross by Jesus Christ himself, God himself in the flesh, so that if we believe in him, we would have everlasting life. And that instead of being punished, he would take the punishment and we would be wrapped up into glory with him. The law should show people that they're not perfect and that they're not really separated from the rest of the people. It should show the, the scribes and Pharisees that they're no different than anybody else. You remember when the woman was, who was caught in adultery 
was there and she was about to be stoned. And Jesus came and said, Who among you is without sin? Or he who among you is without, who is without sin cast the first stone. And everybody dropped their rocks and left. This is what the law should have done. It should have shown people, Are you without sin? Have you adhered to this law perfectly? Because if you haven't, then you have no right to cast judgment and condemnation on somebody else. Get right yourself first before you condemn someone else. It should have shown them that. But instead, they acted as though they were righteous and they judged and condemned over and over and over. They lived hypocritical lives, incapable of seeing the truth because they were blinded. And we'll see that. In verse 3, So do and observe whatever they tell you, but not the works they do. For they preach, but do not practice. Oh my gosh, that's so important. They preach, but they do not practice. Church, I'm here to tell you this morning that we need to practice this way of life. That we need to live out the commands of God and the ways of God in our lives. Verse 4, they tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on people's shoulders but they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. They do all their deeds to be seen by others, for they make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long, and they love the place of honor at feasts and the best seats in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces and being called a rabbi by others. They were all about the pomp and circumstance, man. They were all about the pride. They were all about themselves and how people saw them. Let's not be like this. Let's be people of God who care about God first and people second. Let's be those types of people. It says here that uh, in verse 4, they tie up heavy burdens hard to bear and lay them on people's shoulders. The burden of man and the sinfulness of man is not meant to be borne on the shoulders of man. And when I say man, I mean man, woman, child, all that. Our sinfulness was not meant to be borne. That burden was not meant to be carried by us. This is why Jesus went to the cross. To bear our burdens for us. That if we believed in him, we would be with him forever. And this is the gospel. So you see that Jesus says, cast all your cares and anxieties, all your burdens on me. And we see the Pharisees saying, all your burdens and cares and anxieties are on you. You see how those two are in contrast with each other. And Jesus pronouncing a woe against them for making a, a show, or he, he is pronouncing a woe against them for making a show of their religion. God has commanded them to have certain passages inscribed and worn as a band around their arms, as frontlets between their eyes or on their forehead, and, and even to be written on the doorposts of their houses. These, these passages were supposed to remind them of the fact that, uh, and the power of God in bringing them out of slavery to keep the commands of God, to keep, um, the, uh, to keep the commands of God and to be holy as he is holy and to love him with their heart, soul, and minds. This is why Jesus, command, or the, the Lord in the law commanded them to do this. They were accustomed to fastening them with leather straps on their foreheads 
right? They were with a band, a leather band with a little box um, around their foreheads wearing these, and then they'd wear them on their left arm over against their hearts while they prayed. Now, the passages to be written on small pieces of parchment uh, were in Exodus 13, 1 through 10, Exodus 13, 11 through 16, Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9, and Deuteronomy 11, 13 through 21. Now, I'm not going to read those scriptures for you today, but I encourage you just through the playback, you can get those verses and, um, and then you can go to them on your own. Or you can just Google search for uh, the uh, command of phylacteries in the Old Testament. Now, the Jews called these phylacteries. That's what they were. The little boxes, the phylacteries. And why are we talking about phylacteries? Because in verse 5, he says, They do all their deeds to be seen by others, for they make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long. So they were these leather strips, these fringes, these, these, uh, and these phylacteries that they held with little pieces of parchment paper with those scriptures that I mentioned inscribed in them, written on these little strips of paper, these little strips of parchment. And they were rolled up and put into these little boxes. And when they prayed, they would wear these, and they would wear the armband, and then they'd wear it over their head, the phylactery between their eyes or on their forehead. Now the word that means, uh, the, the word phylactery, for phylactery, is a word that means a preservative. It means a safeguard or amulet. So preservative, safeguard, or amulet. They called them phylacteries because they believed that these were amulets that held powers to safeguard them from evil and drive away demons. Okay? And that's some info from Thayer's Greek lexicon for you if you want to look that up. But what the Pharisees and scribes did was they made them extra wide, extra visible to other people. They were all about the pomp and circumstance. They were all about the show. They made the show of their religion. So they made them big, wide, fringes long. Why? So they could say, look at me. So the people could say, oh my gosh, look at them. Look how broad and wide their phylactery is. Oh, they must love God even more than I can even, even comprehend. So that they would be looked to as holy, high, lifted up. It is the work of the enemy to be ascended into the throne of God. And this is what they were after. They did it in pride. They wanted to seem more spiritual, more righteous than the rest of the people. They loved titles. They loved honor. They loved prestige. And God is setting them straight in front of the people. He's calling attention to their error, pronouncing judgment on them, and therefore urging the people to take the place of a servant instead of trying to take the place of God. And I want to urge you this morning, church, the same thing. Take the place of a servant. Take the place of a servant in your life. In verse 8, but you are not to be called rabbi. But you are not to be called rabbi. For you have one teacher, and you are all brothers. And call no man your father on earth, for you have one father who is in heaven. Neither be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Christ. The greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted." Jesus is telling us that the office is made for the person. Okay? He brings people into office. It's not good enough to call ourselves something when we are not. Just to give ourselves a title, some sort of leadership role, and say, oh, I, this is who I am. This is what I need you to call me. 
Jesus is urging us away from that. He's actually saying this is what the scribes and, and Pharisees do. And this passage is about spiritual leadership and position of authority in the kingdom of God. God is over and above all forever. Forever and ever and ever and ever. Amen. God is over and above all. This is the main teaching here. And while the scribes and Pharisees wanted this position of authority, Jesus lets them know that He is their teacher. It's not the other way around. God is their Father. It's not the other way around. Jesus Christ is the rabbi. It's not the other way around. Jesus teaches us about servant leadership here as well. What it means to be a leader, really. What it really means. The ones who lead should be the servants of all. In leadership positions, we should never be puffed up in exaltation over and above those that we lead. This is not the way of Christ. But in humble submission is where we belong. Humble submission to God while serving those that we lead at the same time. We lead uh, through service, we could say. We lead through servanthood as leaders in the church. We lead through listening. We lead through taking godly suggestion and counsel. We lead through uh, being the hands and feet of Jesus Christ in this life, in this world, on this earth. This is how Christ is calling us to lead. Do you always have the answers? Do you know everything in this world? Do you or can you take credit for everything done at work, where you work, at school, in your home, or even in the kingdom of God? Can you take take credit for it all? Then why pretend that you have all the answers? Why live as though you do in front of other people? In order to be leaders in the kingdom of God, we must be servants of all. Verse 13. But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. For you neither enter yourselves nor allow those who would enter to go in. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you travel across sea and land to make a single proselyte. And when he becomes a proselyte, you make him twice as much a child of hell as yourselves. Ah, that one is like, oh. It's, it's, it's showing that these scribes, these Pharisees, that they're putting in the work. They're going across sea and land. They're going all over. They're doing all these things. They're staying busy, you know, working for God, staying busy, working for God. Jesus is telling them, hey, man, listen, you ain't working for God. You're working for you. Because you're going to hell, because you've been condemned, because you puffed yourself up in pride, because your ego has caused you to ascend, to, try to ascend to the throne of God, because you think that you're the say-all, end-all, be-all, and you got all the answers, and you don't even need God. Then everybody you lead is following you to where you're going, and they're not following you to where I am. We need to be following Christ. Christ alone. To his wonderful, blessed, glorious, hopeful, joy-filled kingdom. 
But we can't do this if we follow wrong. And if we follow the wrong people. And Christ is telling us here, this is what the wrong type of people look like. Even if they go across sea and land to make a single proselyte, a single convert, he becomes a proselyte, you make him twice as much a child of hell as yourself. Y'all, it matters who we follow. And now that one's not even only on the scribes and Pharisees, that's on us. Who do we follow? Who are we listening to, allowing to influence us? What is their worldview like? Are they Christian? Do they follow Christ? Do they love him? Without the love of God in their lives and the love of Christ, without being Christian, listen, man, I mean, there's some good ideologies in this world that sound good, but if they don't have anything to do with Christ, then I don't have anything to do with them. Because the, the, the beginning's got to be right for me. The foundation's got to be right. Because if it's a bad foundation, the house is going to fall, man. I ain't going to stand to the storm. I need to stand in the storm of life. Because there's going to be a storm. And right now, there's a storm. There's a storm. Where am I going to stand? Am I going to have a place to stand? I will. I know I will. Because I stand on the rock of salvation, Jesus Christ himself who is the foundation of everything that ever has existed in this life that is of any real, eternal, significant value. Christ himself is my foundation. Let him be your foundation today, church. Verse 16, If woe to you, blind guides. Blind guides. Listen to that. A blind guide. Somebody who's leading others who can't see what's in front of them. Woe to you blind guides who say, if anyone swears by the temple, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, he is bound by his oath. Oh, the gold of the temple. Verse 17, you blind fools, for which is greater, the gold or the temple that has made the gold sacred? What's better, church, God or God's stuff? Verse 18, and you say, if anyone swears by the altar, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gift that is on the altar, he is bound by his oath. You blind men, for which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? So whoever swears by the altar swears by it and by everything on it. Whoever swears by the temple swears by it and by whom who dwells in it. Who dwells in the temple in the Old Testament but the Lord God himself in the Shekinah glory cloud, the presence of the Lord over the mercy seat or the Ark of the Covenant? That's God who dwells. Whoever swears, in verse 21, whoever swears by the temple swears by it and by him who dwells in it. And whoever swears by heaven swears by the throne of God and by him who sits upon it. Now we see here that their allegiance was tied to things. It was tied to stuff. Their allegiance is tied to the world then, right? And not to the God who made the world, but to the world itself. Church, who is your allegiance tied to? Who are you allied with? Where does your loyalty lie, church? Moreover, he tells them that they are blind for thinking this way. They see it wrong. And this is one of the most frustrating parts of life for me, admittedly. 
I know and, and, and read what the Bible teaches about all of life. I, I, I read in it the, the truth and the morality set forth in eternity by God who made time and space. And then I look at the world and the things in the world, uh, the things that the world tells me are uh, morally right and wrong. Uh, and the things that the law of the land sanctions and says, okay, I look at all that. What does the Bible say? Now, what is culture in the world saying? What does the law say of the law of the land? Not the law of Moses, the law of the land, you know. American law, or the laws in other countries. And there's a stark difference between those. The law of God stands high and lifted up. The commands of the Lord, adherence to the commands of God, as Jesus tells us, if you love me, you will obey my commands. In John chapters 14 through 16, several different references of that. I look at those things, and I look at the commands of God, and then I look at the world and where it stands and they're very different. For instance, people still live in slavery in all parts of the world. Do you know that? Literally in slavery. And all over, the, all over the world. And it's legal. Do you remember a time in this country, church, when slavery was legal? When it was the way? When it was the law? When it was allowed? When people, African Americans predominantly, were viewed as less than human? So we had uh, droves of children growing up with their parents, showing them that the black folks just, they may look like people, but they're really not people is what they were being taught. And then so you have a whole generation of people for hundreds and hundreds of years being looked down upon and not seen as human, but seen as more of an animal. That was okay. Tell me that that coincides with God and the gospel of grace and the gospel of love and of mercy. It does not. I see people all over just, oh, it's the law of the land. It's the law of the land. It's the law of the land. What does the law of the land say? And then what does the law of God say? What is God saying about all this? You trust in your government, you're going to trust to your own peril, church. Government is corrupt. It always has been. It's got men's fingerprints all over it. And I'm preaching to an empty church right now because of it. But to the church. Because we know that even if the house is empty, the Spirit is full and alive because the Spirit is full and alive in you. Because you are the temple. We need to know what God says about things. We need to know what His heart says about things. And how that speaks into our specific situation. Are you being pressed right now, church? Are you uncomfortable? Be led by God into His gracefulness and into His mercy and into His love through this. Be led by God into the scripture to dissect it and to pull it apart and to see what he's telling you and to let it build you up from the inside. Let your heart be changed and be glorified along with Christ in the end. But be sanctified now, be built up in love now, be edified now. Slavery still exists in all parts of the world. Women and children are sold 
into sex slavery and mutilated all around the world in the name of religion. People are in chains and babies are being killed at alarming rates all over the world while they are still in their mother's wombs. Tell me that that's all right. Because there's a stark difference between that and the love of God, isn't there? It's legal to do it. It's legal to kill a baby. That's the law of the land. The world says it's morally acceptable, and if you don't agree with it, then, then uh, you're morally bankrupt, you're wrong, and you get canceled here in America. This, or you get thrown into jail and beaten, lashed, flogged, punished, and killed in other countries for not following their religious laws. Throughout history, the law of man and the law of God have been divorced. They are not one in the same in many ways. There will always be godly men and women dealing with ungodly men and ungodly women and arguing over what's right and what's wrong. The world can't see that it's wrong. And this is my frustration that I've admitted to you. That they're wrong and they, they just can't see it. They're wrong and they don't know it. Y'all, I want to know what's right. I want to know what's good. And I can only know that if I submit myself at the feet of the cross. I'm not pretending that I know everything like these scribes and Pharisees did. But admitting that I really don't know much. And if I'm honest, do I really even know anything? I have a lot of thoughts. I have interpretations of things. I tend to fall in line with the people that I like to read most of the people that I think fall more in line with what the scriptures literally saying than anything. I try not to read anything into the verses of the Bible. I try to let the Bible read into me what it's saying. But I'm going to be wrong too sometimes. Hopefully not a lot, but that's the way it goes. But if we can submit ourselves at the foot of the cross and admit that we are nothing without the Lord Jesus Christ, then we can be at a place where we say, God, show me what's right. Show me the truth. Show me what I need to know, God. Tell me the way it is. Tell me what, what is really going on. Open my eyes to see it, Lord. And I promise you, he will open your eyes. I promise you. Morality and truth are argued and argued as to what's what. And it's frustrating because we can think sometimes, well, well, if I just say it this way, then, then maybe they'll hear it. But the truth is they won't. They are blind to the truth. They have been blinded by God and will never know the truth. But so that the glory of God may be revealed and he may be glorified even more, I am commanded to remain steadfast through it all. And you are commanded the same. Never, never swaying, being ready, never swaying from the teaching of the scripture. God wrote it, so I'm going to follow it. Will you follow it, church? Verse 23, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. 
These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. You blind guides, straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. You see, it's all important to God. The whole law, not just the parts about money. Yes, tithing, the tithing part's important, but so is justice, so is mercy, so is faithfulness. I'm going to read that again, just in case we didn't catch that. Verse 23, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law. So there's something weightier than tithing. Oh my goodness, is there? What is it? The weightier matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You would do well not to neglect those today, church, and for the rest of your life. Because tithing is important. And so is justice. And so is mercy. And so is is faithfulness. But some want to tithe and neglect justice. Oh, whatever's going to happen is going to happen. I don't care. I'm not going to talk about that. I don't like to get into politics or or racial stuff. I I don't like to get into it. What matters more, tithing or justice? Well, the Bible says that justice is weightier than tithing. Mercy, faithfulness. These you ought to have done, he says, without neglecting the others. So do it all. Why pick one and and leave one out? Why be picky and choosy about what we're going to do and who we're going to be in this life? Let's not do that. Let's do it all to the glory of God. Let's not neglect any of the good things that God has in store for us by adhering to the commands of God. These were the parts the Pharisees were neglecting. They were neglecting justice, mercy, and faithfulness. So if we neglect justice, mercy, and faithfulness while still tithing, I think Jesus is telling us we've become a scribe or a Pharisee. Right now in the world, you have people crying out for justice with no mercy and no peace. You have people crying out for mercy with no justice or faithfulness. You have people crying out for you to be faithful, telling you it's okay to ignore justice and mercy for people. If you hear this sort of thing, I want you to listen to the words of Jesus. They are hypocrites. They are blind guides. They can't see where they're going. So don't follow them. They get you to focus on one thing and ignore the big picture of where their agendas lead. Follow Jesus to find the answers about what you're supposed to do. Follow Jesus to find the answers about what you are supposed to do. Verse 25, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate, that the outside also may be clean. Jesus is teaching what the Pharisees and scribes should have been teaching. The whole vessel needs to be clean, y'all. The entire thing. In order to be of use, the entire vessel needs to be clean. Now, who's the new vessel, church? 
in order to be of use, the entire vessel needs to be clean. Once you pick up a plate that's got the top surface clean, but not the bottom, or the bottom and not the top, as soon as you handle it and touch it, the whole thing's dirty. Because now your hands are dirty, contaminated, the whole thing. Contaminated. I used to be the manager of a sober living house and the guys, uh, one of their chores was to like wash dishes and stuff. And I used to tell them, listen, y'all, I, I see what y'all are doing. Y'all, y'all clean the surface, the top of the plate underneath. Man, I'm seeing crusty food from when it was laying, the plates were laying on top of each other in the sink. You got to clean the whole plate. The bottom of the plate is still the plate. Or I tell them the bottom of the bowl is still the bowl. You got to clean the whole thing because then if you stack them, then it's all dirty again. The clean bowl that was clean on the inside got the dirty bowl stacked up in it. You can't do that. It's all going to be dirty. It's contaminated now. You got to clean the whole thing. Same thing. Let's not contaminate everything by leaving things undone. We need to pick apart our entire lives is what I'm seeing. We need to look at everything that we do and think and say. And we need to submit ourselves at the feet of the cross and ask Jesus to clean us up. But that's the beauty of the gospel that he doesn't wait until you're cleaned up to save you. He takes you in while you're still dirty, while we are still sinners. He takes us in through faith. He takes us in by his grace. He takes us in because of his glory. He takes us in because he's merciful. He takes us in because he is love. And then he cleans us up. Oh, my gosh, the beauty of Jesus. Oh, my Lord. we got to give our lives to Jesus in full, church. Verse 27. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. They are dead inside. You see that? Dead inside. Hmm. Trying to leave a lot to lead a life. Trying to lead people, but dead inside. Trying to lead people to, the, to life while at the same time dead. Man, that don't work. It's not the way. It's impossible. Why do we follow Jesus? Because he is the way, because he is life. In him is life. This only happens with God. We, we need to, we need, uh, we need, excuse me, we need life in order to lead others to life. We got to be alive. We got to be able to see where we're going. This is what we need. And it only happens with Jesus. He brings us to life in him once we believe. This is the miracle of the Christian faith. That dead men, dead women, dead children get to live through faith in Jesus Christ. And become alive. We get to live. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. But through Christ we are alive. This is the beauty of the gospel. This is the hope of the Christian this is the truth of Jesus Christ that would love. Verse 29, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, 
for you build the tombs of the prophets and decorate the monuments of the righteous, saying, If we had lived in the days of our fathers, we would not have taken part with them in shedding the blood of the prophets. Thus you witness against yourselves that you are sons of those who murdered the prophets. Fill up then the measure of your fathers. You serpents, you brood of vipers, how are you to escape being sentenced to hell? Therefore I send you prophets and wise men and scribes, some of whom you will kill and crucify, and some you will flog in your synagogues and persecute from town to town, so that on you may come all the righteous blood shed on earth. From the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the sanctuary and the altar, truly I say to you, all these things will come upon this generation." The scribes and Pharisees are doomed. They have allied, uh, allied themselves with the traditions of their elders and forefathers while ignoring the heart of the law of God at the same time. They ignore the things done by their ancestors by saying, oh, if, if I were alive at that time, I wouldn't have done it. I wouldn't have killed them. If I were alive, I would have done it differently. But then they go along and live by the same standards and the same traditions and the same thinking around the law of God as their fathers. Jesus tells them in essence that they have followed in the footsteps of their fathers who killed the prophets sent by God with the message of God. And we don't want to follow in dead men's footsteps. Dead men that are like whitewashed tombs all gussied up and pretty on the outside, but inside, decaying along with the world. They even do it now, the scribes and Pharisees, at this time with John the Baptist, at the time of this scripture, and with Jesus, with God himself. They kill him. Oh, we're not going to be like them. We wouldn't have been like them. We wouldn't have ignored the, the messengers of God. We wouldn't have ignored the, the word of God through the prophets. We wouldn't have ignored it. And then they go and do the same thing and follow right in their father's footsteps. And they behead John the Baptist. They, they, they play a part in John's persecution that leads to his beheading. They play a part in outcasting John as a heretic, as just a wild man in the desert. They give people a wrong idea about who Christ is, accusing him at, at every turn, every step of the way through the life of Jesus Christ. He's persecuted. I want to encourage you in persecution today, church, that if your persecution is physical or if it's verbal, if somebody's playing with your mind, if they're making you believe something, if they're saying something that's causing you to think differently than what the Bible teaches you, endure, stay strong, steadfast in the word of God, knowing that as Christ endured, because you're in Christ, you will endure. You will endure. And it's going to be hard, and it's going to hurt, and it's going to be painful, but you will endure, and this is the beauty of Jesus Christ calling you close to the cross and his own suffering. Jesus tells them for this reason that they cannot escape the judgment and the condemnation of God. 
And what can we take away from this today? What can we take away from this today? Follow God and read His Scripture to know how to follow Him. Deny yourselves. Take up your cross and follow Him. Be a servant of all. Worship God in spirit and in truth. Worship God and Him alone. Don't tie yourselves to the world or to things or to buildings, to organizations. Tie yourself to Christ. Remember that God and His provision for our people throughout the course of human history. Remember God and His provision. We know He's provided for you. You know He's provided for you. Remember that and remember God's provision through it all, through all of human history. Follow His footsteps to life. Take care of your spiritual lives first before being concerned with how things look on the outside. Look on the inside to see where you can change and be changed from the inside. Because you may fool people, but we will never fool God. Church, let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, for your word being able to speak into this moment that we sit in here today. We thank you that your word is alive. The word is alive. God, we thank you. You are active, Lord. We thank you. We thank you, God, for being alive, for being active, for being who we need, for being the exact, the exact one that we need in order to be saved. Sorry. Yeah. God, we, we thank you for, for loving us. Excuse us, y'all. I'm sorry, we're having a technical difficulty. You good? Okay, let's continue on our prayer. Lord, we, we, we thank you for, for hearing our cries and hearing our prayers, for hearing our pleas, for loving us the way that you do. And God, we, we ask that, Lord, that you would change us, Lord, to be more like you, that you would continue to provide for us, Lord, throughout the course of our lives, provide for our children throughout the course of theirs. Lord, I pray for all of our children, Lord, and their children and their children to be blessed forever in the name of Jesus Christ. I pray, Lord, that you would continue to lead us to the cross, that you would continue to allow us to see your truth written in the scripture. That way we could be influenced and live differently as a result of reading that scripture and being changed by it. God, change us in Jesus' name. Amen.